But uh, so thank you for loving her. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for praying over us. Um, you know, I was reminiscing in the lobby earlier. This church means so much to me and, and Brenda as well. We got married at Evangel in 1983. We bought our first house on Ferndale for $54,000. Can you imagine that? You can't even buy a car for $54,000 anymore. Like, right, lived right around the corner here. And um, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in this church, baptized in water in this church. Olin and Orville prayed over me for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I received that with the amazing outpouring of, of tongues, and a language I didn't understand and was quite skeptical of for many, many years. But uh, I've grown in those gifts. And if you were to ask me back, you know, when it's 17 years old when I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, if I would be the district superintendent of the POC, I would have scoffed at you even more. <laughs> like, I actually don't know how I got here. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know why people voted me in, but I certainly did. And so the last 12 years of my ministry have been as a district uh, officer. So that's 12 years. I think I'm getting old. I think I need to buy a big fifth wheel and retire. How's that, eh? Do I hear an amen? <laughs> yeah. So this morning, I bring greetings from our, our fellowship. We have about 208 churches in our network. And um, in that network, we're planting new churches every day. So you know, when, you, when churches like you give to the district mission, like so you, you support our mission, I want you to know that last September, part of the, the budget that we have as a network goes into planting new churches, training new leaders. By the way, a great hearty hello from Dave Demchuk, who I uh, serve with on the Summit Pacific College board. He said, make sure you say hi from me and Diane, and so I'm saying hello. Uh, there's been a lot of Powell River people that have come into our fellowship. You know, you think of Ted Boodle and Rankin McGugan and Bill Gibson and myself and Dave and there's probably others that I'm forgetting, but there's been a lot of leaders that you have produced as a church. So thank you for doing that. So as you give to our network, we plant new churches. And I just want to tell you of one we planted last September. So this September will be one year old. They're a, a Syrian and Iraqi and Iranian church in Surrey. Pastor uh, Peter Ramses came from Cairo, Egypt, Arabic speaking, came into our district office and wanted to plant a church among Arabic speaking Syrian refugees. And so we said, absolutely, that's what we do. We multiply the kingdom of God, don't we? That's what it's all about. So he started this ministry and now has over 120 Syrian refugees, uh, Iranian, Iraqi people in the heart of Surrey. Uh, and they baptized, uh, I think it was 12, I could be wrong, it might be 14, brand new comers to Canada just in the last month or so. Isn't that great? That's worth a hand right there. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your faithfulness and for your giving and for all that you do. It's so important. So God bless you for doing that. Um, I am your substitute speaker today. I cannot believe that Pastor Lucas would actually trust me enough not to be here. I could do anything. Like, imagine that. Is this being videocast? Like, is it? Okay. This is really great. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I, I once was speaking at uh, a church substitute. Used the illustration. I begin there. Sure, let me use the. All right. 
you can uh, switch me over when you feel appropriate. So I was speaking at a church, and uh, I said, I'm your substitute speaker this morning. Your pastor is away. And I said, let me try and explain what a substitute uh, speaker is like. I said, you know, in the winter, back in the good old days when you used to put in those weather pane windows, you know, those substitute window panes, right, to keep the heat in? I said, I'm kind of like that. I'm just temporary. I'm the window pane that goes into the window. And then when I'm all done and my purpose is over, you take the window pane out. And, and I said, that's kind of my purpose here. And so after the service, I was in the lobby having coffee, schmoozing, kissing babies, shaking hands. I do that really well. Uh, anyways, I'm in the lobby, and this lady comes up to me, and she goes, Pastor Ken, you weren't like that description you said. You're not like a temporary window pane. You're the real pane. <laughs> Anyways, I'll try not to be a pain this morning, all right? So this morning, if you brought your Bibles on text, like in, in hard copy or in uh, electronic version, turn with me to the book of Philemon. Philemon is this tiny little book, one chapter long. If you're doing devotions and you want to read a book all in one sitting, this is the one you can do it in. Okay, Philemon is tucked right between Hebrews uh, and it, right at the end of the pastoral epistles. Um, so let's turn there as you're uh, getting there. Let me make a few comments about the book of Philemon and why it's so important to us today. Unlike the other epistles or letters, that's, epistles is a biblical word. If you're new to church, it's kind of a letter that Paul, the apostle, one of those church planters in the New Testament, would have written to the church. This would have been his letter that he wrote to a person rather than a church. So if you read Romans or Colossians or uh, Corinthians or Ephesians, uh, Philippians, those kinds of letters were written to churches altogether. But Paul also wrote four letters that were written personally to people. We are quite familiar with Timothy and Titus, Timothy and Titus, uh, sorry, Timothy 1 and 2 and Titus. This is a letter that he wrote to Philemon as the fourth prison epistle, prison letter. So he was writing this while he was imprisoned so that he was um, facing trial, of course, for preaching and teaching uh, the gospel. And um, this is a letter that he wrote to Philemon. Now, let me give you some background about this before we get right into the message. And I trust it'll be encouraging to you. Philemon was a really wealthy man had all kinds of riches, lived in a very, very large estate. And while Paul was ministering in Colossae, where he was from, Philemon came to know Christ. So Paul became his spiritual father, just like Timothy, just like Titus. And so he was writing this letter kind of like a spiritual dad, kind of like an Orville or an Olin would write to me. And, and they would say, you know, I remember you as a teenager when you came to faith. I remember laying hands on you. I remember those Saturday night prayer meetings. That would be kind of like the letter I would receive from an elder who, an elder statesman in, in, the, in the faith. So this would be that kind of letter. Philemon got saved or came to Jesus under Paul's ministry. Paul's now in prison. Philemon's a rich man. One of his servants, now the Bible uses the word slave, and that has all kinds of Christian and non-Christian context around it, and, and sometimes we get quite uh, caught up in the, in the nomenclature, but here we find that, that Paul is writing to Philemon who had a servant who betrayed him. 
Now, I don't, want to yeah, I don't necessarily want you to raise your hand, but I, d I think everybody's hand would go up in this room if I asked the question, who here has been betrayed by someone? You'd probably put your hand up, right? Every one of us has been either insulted, hurt, um, criticized, betrayed by someone in our past. And this is where this kind of hits home to us. Because Philemon had a servant named Onesimus. And Onesimus was not just an ordinary servant or a slave. He kind of grew in prominence in Philemon's home. And so he was trusted with administration and wealth and all kinds of uh, interesting things in the business that Philemon did and in the trade. And then Onesimus did something to Philemon that was really, really terrible. He stole from him. He uh, betrayed him. And he ran away. He, he uh, deserted him. Down through life's journey, Philemon, the rich man, finds Onesimus, has him tried, and throws him in jail. Now, here's the irony of this story. Onesimus meets Paul in prison. Paul is the spiritual father of the guy who just threw Onesimus into prison. And in prison, Onesimus comes to faith. Paul leads him to Christ. And now Paul becomes not only the spiritual father of Philemon, but he also becomes the spiritual father of Onesimus. So in this one chapter book in the Bible, we see this letter, and it's got the one principle in the scriptures of imputation. I don't know if that's a fancy word to you or an unknown word. It's not like amputation. Imputation, <laughs> yeah, nothing's getting severed here. Uh, imputation is when Somebody takes a debt that is owed to another person and says, just describe it to me. Anything that Onesimus would owe to you, anything he's done wrong, don't punish him for it, punish me. Now, can you imagine how that must have been in the light of the gospel? Because Jesus did that for every one of us, didn't he? He said, you have sinned. All of you have fallen short of the glory of God. All of you have sinned. But guess what? I'm going to take your penalty on me, and you get to go free. Isn't that the gospel? That's the bottom line gospel. If you're new in church today, you've never heard that message before. Every song we sang today was about the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus compels him to give up his own life. Not just have someone take it from him. He gave up his life so that the debt, the sin, the wrongdoing, the wrong thought you've had, the, the uh, um, terrible behavior and conduct and conversation can all be charged to his account. Isn't that amazing? That's what happened there. Let's, um, I'm going to get to the text in a minute. What happens with unforgiveness and bitterness is it causes us to engage in a battle. It really does. It causes us to engage in a battle. It makes people of God warriors instead of worshipers. Now, hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that? Hurt people end up hurting people. And we end up not turning the other cheek, but we end up slapping another cheek when somebody slaps us, right? Right? We try. Revenge is an ugly thing, friends, is it not? But every one of us has the capability of exercising revenge. 
I, I recall a story of a, a couple that were fighting, married for a long time. They were engaging in a, a huge fight all the time. So they went to see their pastor, and in their office, they break out into this huge fight. And the husband's yelling and screaming and threatening and swearing and doing all kinds of things. Shouldn't be happening in a pastor's office, but he was. And the woman was sitting there all calm and never saying a word, not a, a single word. So the pastor says to the couple, I'm curious. Here I see you, sir, uh, you know, coming out really angry and venomous and spewing all kinds of threats and accusations and swear words. But, ma'am, I don't see you swearing at all. How do you deal with all of that pent-up vengeance and revenge and anger and bitterness in your soul? She says, well, that's really simple. I just clean the bathroom. Clean the bathroom? And so at this, the husband goes, clean the bathroom? What are you talking about? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How can you deal with all of this by cleaning the bathroom? And the pastor goes, you know, he's kind of right. Like, how do you do that? How do you deal with all that stuff inside of you by cleaning the bathroom? She says, well, it's, it's really quite simple. She says, every day when we're having a terrible time, I go into the bathroom, I open up the toilet bowl, and I clean it with his toothbrush. <laughs> Friends. <laughs> you see, we all deal with this ugly side of us in different ways, don't we? Because it makes us warriors instead of worshipers. It makes us un unlike Christ. Instead of s turning the other cheek, we end up slapping. Instead of giving, us, giving our cloak, we, we uh, take the tunic as well. Instead of going the extra mile, we don't. So this is what we find in this, in this passage of Scripture. And so let me read it for you really quickly. I'll only read a couple of portions. It's not on the screen. It's Philemon uh, verse 8 to 21 is the text. So Paul, in his letter, he says this. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. Now, what he's saying is, because I'm your spiritual father and I've just met Onesimus in prison, that is why I'm asking a favor for of you. I could demand in the name of Christ because that would be the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, notice this word, love. Because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. In this original text, Paul actually uses a play of words. Onesimus in its original uh, meaning, in the original language, means useful one. So he's actually saying he was very useful both, uh, he hasn't been mu of much use to you in the past. So he's playing on the word on his name. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me for a while. I'm here in change for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He's no longer like a slave to you. He's more like a, he is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as uh, a man and as a brother in the Lord. And then the last part, he says, is so if you consider me your partner, 
welcome him as you would welcome me. And this is the law of imputation. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. And I, now if you have a Bible that does this, he capitalizes all of this, okay? This is written in Paul's own handwriting. So it was somehow magnified in the scriptures. I, capital Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. <laughs> a little dig there right at the end. Isn't that just like Paul? And by the way, uh, you wouldn't even be a believer if, if it wasn't for me. So just remember that. Augustine said this. This is a great quote, uh, and if I can have it on. Forgiveness is the fragrance of flower leaves on the heel of the one who crushed it. If you've ever been crushed by somebody's harsh remarks, their criticism, their betrayal, you'll understand how that felt to your soul. Your soul came under the heels of someone who just tromped on you, and it hurt. It hurt. Let's be honest. Every one of us in this room have been hurt by somebody. We are most like beasts when we kill, most like men when we judge, but most like Christ when we forgive. Now, I'm just going to run through some points here from the letter of Philemon just to understand with you what unforgiveness and bitterness actually does. It causes us to engage in a battle. It causes us to kind of lose all sense of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, everyone gets hurt in life, wouldn't you agree? Everyone. Everyone gets hurt. Um, Jesus raises the question, how will you respond when you're hurt? He's not going to say you're not going to get hurt. So let's look at this slide here. He says, how will you respond? Will you respond with violence or silence? Because we both do it. Okay, Brenda and I have been married for 30, how many? Six years? Five? I was testing you, honey. Five. Okay, yeah, see? It's testing her. I just got to keep her sharp, okay? <laughs> 35 years. 36 this October, right? There you go. We have never fought in our lives. Isn't that right, honey? Sydney, wouldn't you attest? No, that's not true. <laughs> when we were younger, we would have all kinds of spats. Now we're old. We don't fight as much, okay? We've just given up, right? <laughs> yeah, I figure, you know, once, once you, like, I have I've been, I dated her for four years and been married for 35, so 39 of my 55 years on the planet have been spent with her. So I figure, I'm just so well-trained now, I just can't, <laughs> I can't make a change. But when we were, when we fought, there was, there was this time when I would be the aggressor. I know that's hard for you to believe, me being such a gentle Pakistani man and all. But I'm hot-blooded, right? Like, I would fight, and I... Brenda, on the other hand, would be your typical Canadian woman, okay? She would answer with soft answers, you know? Then there was a time in our marriage when the, the tables turned, and I would clam up. I would be like the silent guy, and I'd walk away, and it would drive her crazy because she'd want to iron it out. She'd want to get it all fixed. And I'd just walk away and give her the silent treatment. So whether you uh, respond to hurt with violence or silence, they're both wrong. They're both extremes that just aren't the right way of handling hurt. That's not how we do it. Throwing somebody in prison for doing something wrong, there's a legal side to that, and I'm not addressing that. But it doesn't get you healed up, does it? It doesn't. Shutting out an offender, isolating yourself physically, emotionally, or spiritually, it doesn't help. Now, Jesus raises a second point here. He says, everybody gets hurt. How will you respond? Will you retaliate 
or will you forgive? So retaliation is, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to hurt you just as much as you hurt me. And I'm going to make you feel like I felt when you hurt me. You repay evil for evil, get mad, get even. That's the kind of retaliation. Or you forgive, you reconcile, you restore, you release the debt into God's custody. Let me tell you another story of a husband and wife who are struggling with this very same thing, retaliation. They were fighting for months, just like that first couple I was talking to you about. And uh, then they started using their kids as pawns to communicate. They talked through the kids instead of to each other. And then they got so bad that the eruptions were so, so bad that they started giving each other the silent treatment and wouldn't talk to each other at all. One Sunday morning, the Sunday school bus comes along, picks up the kids for Sunday school, and the husband and wife are fighting so bad that uh, she decides to go to church, he decides to stay home from church. She puts on her dress, she's putting on her dress to go to, Sunday, uh, to service, and her zipper gets stuck about halfway up her back. She can't reach it from this arm, and she can't reach it from this arm, and she's stuck in the dress. The only other person in the house is her husband. You get it? She's so mad at him, and he's so mad at her, she can't humble herself to get him to help her. But she's got to get to church, and she can't go like that, because this would be wrong. So she humbles herself, gets up to, uh, finds him in the living room, and, and points to her zipper and says, could you help me? And so he takes the zipper, and he starts getting it undone. It finally gets it undone, and he goes, zip, 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 zip. Her blood starts boiling. The vein on her neck is bulging. You've been like that before? Right? Somebody going, oh, this, uh, that's you. Yeah, husband, wife over there. Okay. <laughs> Definitely need counseling. All right. <laughs> So she is boiling over mad. She goes to the door, slams the door behind her, screeches the tires. Not a good way of going to church, by the way. <laughs> Gets to church, doesn't get a thing out of the service, and she's driving home after the service, after everything's over. Notices that her husband is changing the oil in the car. He's this far under the car, and his zipper is sticking outside of the car. Revenge comes over her. She walks up to him, grabs his zipper and goes, zip, 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 zip. And he gets so startled, he sits up really suddenly, knocks himself unconscious by, by hitting his head on the oil pan, okay? And, and she walks in the house, slams the door beside her, gets to the kitchen table, and her husband is sitting at the table. She's thinking, who is that that I just accosted, you know? Turns out the neighbor <laughs> was helping them change the oil in their car. She has to call 911. He's passed out under the car. And so she had to explain what she had done to the 911 people when they arrived. He was knocked out cold. You see what happens when revenge takes over? Do you see what happens there? You lose all kinds of control. We do things that we would never do when we are in a sane mind, all right? But that's what happens when you retaliate. That's what happens when revenge takes over. Corrie ten Boom, do you remember her? A Dutch woman, born in Amsterdam, Netherlands, April 15th, 1892. 
passed away in Placidina, California, April 15th, same day, 1983. She said these powerful words. By the way, if you want these slides, they're on the computer back there. They're free for you. You can send $9.99 plus shipping and handling to <laughs> Ken Russell International Ministries. <laughs> no, it's free. It's all yours, okay? <laughs> so she says to forgive is to set a prisoner free only to discover the prisoner is really you. Isn't that an amazing to set to forgive someone, you set a prisoner free. Figuring it out, you think, that's me. I'm the prisoner. I was kept captive by all that hate, bitterness, revenge, retaliation. We may be products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of it. We may have the pretty ugly circumstances of our past, but we don't have to be imprisoned by them. By rehearsing our pain, we incarcerate ourselves. We drink the poison hoping someone else will die. That's a, a quote that's coming up in a moment. Friends, I want you to know how deadly this, this thing called unforgiveness and bitterness really is. Let's go to the next slide. Harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping your enemy will die. Joyce Myers said that. Biblically, let's look at it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. It says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment, well, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And because the Bible was written in the masculine, don't think you sisters are off the hook. Okay? <laughs> it's brothers and sisters. Friends, we have to love. And the kind of love that John is talking about here in his first letter is the kind of love that Paul talks about in Corinthians 13. The kind of love that keeps no record of wrongs. None. Am I capable of doing that? I don't know. I try. I, part of my role as district superintendent is to walk into church conflict. Um, I, you can pray for me because I've got some doozies happening right now. And uh, I'm in the middle of some very terrible situations. I get to see the ugliest side of Christianity sometimes, where people are just downright mad. And I have to understand this scripture of loving our brothers as God would have loved us and calling us to that kind of standard, not another kind of standard. Love is a word we throw around often, but we don't often get to understand its depth. Unforgiveness, bitterness, what does it do? Well, it poisons our intimacy with God, which is the love that I just talked to you about. It actually poisons our worship. Let's take a look at this. He, it, in the scriptures it says, Therefore I tell you, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother slash sister. Then come and offer your gift. Notice something about the scripture. First go. Be first and be fast. Be first and be fast. If you're here today, and there's no condemnation here for me at all, but if you know of a brother or a sister that has something against you or that you have something against them, it's not, this scripture is not saying wait till they come begging on their knees and then forgive them. Notice that, right? It doesn't say wait till they say sorry. Wait till they come and show you that they're repentant. Nope, that's not what this says. It says, if you are here in the house of God, you've got your hands up, and you know somebody's got something against you, the onus is on you 
to leave and go fast and first and make it right with them. That's what the scriptures are saying. You see the high standard God's calling us to? It's a really high standard. Unforgiveness poisons our worship to God of God. Unforgiveness poisons our relationship with God. Look at this next scripture. Matthew 6, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is the most, um, not I shouldn't say terrifying, but alarming scripture I read from time to time. There's a but in there. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Wow! You know how heavy that is? Can you imagine if unforgiveness rests in our heart against anybody on the planet? God, our Heavenly Father, cannot eradicate our sin. That's why it's so important not to have retaliation, not to have bitterness, not to have unforgiveness in our heart. I'm going to close with three things. That's what I say in when I've really got five other subpoints. okay? <laughs> and uh, when I look at my watch, it means absolutely nothing, okay? So just hang in with me. No, I'm kidding. It'll go quick. I have three quick points to make, and then I'll close. And I'd like to offer you a point of prayer afterwards. We all face these battles. They're the battles, the fight for forgiveness is a battle. The devil does not want you to forgive people. He wants you to harbor bitterness. He wants you to harbor unforgiveness. Because when he, you are doing that, the devil's got you exactly where he wants you. This is a fight. It's a battle. It's not a cakewalk. Some of you have been deeply hurt. You can think back to a time perhaps when you were abused by a parent or a father or where you were sexually assaulted or where something very traumatic happened to you. Friends, I'm understanding your walk. I've ministered for 34 years in a pastor, uh, pastoral capacity. I have walked through the deepest waters with people, and I have shared the same scriptures. This is a fight what I'm giving you is meat and potatoes this morning. It's a fight. It's not going to come easy for you. You're going to have to fight your way through this. The first battle you're going to face is the requirement of the law versus the responsibility of love. That's the first battle you're going to face. So notice Philemon, Paul says to him, I could demand in the name of Christ because it's the right thing to do, for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer just to ask you. It's the difference between what is right and lawful, what is scriptural and biblical, as opposed to what you do on a basis of love. So, you can, you can look at it this in the international version. It says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to forgive. That's the judicial response. Okay? I'm Paul. I led you to Lord. I led you, Philemon. I, I gave you a future and a hope and a destiny in Christ. And, and I didn't punish you for your sins. God forgave you. So I could order you as your spiritual father to forgive Anesmus. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. The second battle, oh, sorry, let's, let's look at this. Philemon was acting judiciously, okay? He, his lawful penalty for a renegade slave was to throw him in prison. Paul was pleading with him to act lovingly, compassionately. And I just put this scripture in here because it's just so puts the icing on the cake. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. That scripture, Matthew 18, is found on, on the parable of the unmerciful um, master. 
So unless we act lovingly, we can't expect God to act lovingly. So if God is going to act lovingly, we must also. Okay, let's look at this. How does God treat those who sin against him? Does he use justice or mercy? Does he use legalism, law, or love? Well, he uses love. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. What does God do? He doesn't annihilate the population. He sends his son as an act of love. He says, I could, you could be killed for this, for this sin. That's what the law says. You would have to die for this. But instead, I'm going to give my son in an act of love as an imputation for your sin. He's going to take it on him. You're going to go free. He demonstrates, five, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. The second battle that we're going to face of forgiveness is this one. It's the demand for restitution and the need for reconciliation. When someone does, let's, let's, let me just be real with you for a moment. And not that I'm already, I'm being real with you. <laughs> it was all fake until this point, all right? <laughs> and right now I'm going to get real. No, when somebody does wrong to me, there is a carnal nature that rises up in me and says, you owe me, you scoundrel, right? Can anybody identify? No one. You people are so holy, it's unbelievable, okay? <laughs> Not even one of you think that? <laughs> okay, thank you, my dear sister. You and me, we're going for lunch afterwards, and we're going to talk about anger, all right? <laughs> and, yeah, we're going to talk about all these other people as well, okay? <laughs> I feel that deep in my soul. You hurt me. You wronged me. You took something from me. Now you need to pay me back, right? That's the carnal nature. Perhaps, Paul says, perhaps you could think of it this way. Onesimus ran away for a little while so you could have him back forever. Do you, my wife, the great theologian Brenda Russell, when we fight, she says this. Ken, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Isn't that a good saying? Because you ain't going to be right and happy. I'm going to make your life miserable. <laughs> And she has the power to do that. <laughs> yeah, no. I, you have to choose happy. You have to choose, you know, love instead of trying to choose right all the time. I'm, I'm mellowing out in my older age. You know, I'm thinking, do I really need to be right all the time? Because I am. But <laughs> no, not quite. But, uh, you know, Paul is saying this. Choose the better option. Restitution or reconciliation. Wouldn't you want to be reconciled instead of paid back? Isn't that the higher cause? Yes, it is. This battle is it's strong. It, it, it wages in all of us. Restitution, reconciliation. Let me show you what they focus on. Restitution focuses on retribution for damages, compensation for losses, regaining equality. Reconciliation focuses on repairing relationships. And isn't that what Jesus came to do? We were lost. We were separated from God. He didn't come to compensate for losses. He came to reconcile us to our Father. That is what forgiveness does.
It establishes love, unity, and wholeness. When an offender comes to faith in Christ, offenses are forgiven, charges and damages are attributed to Christ's account. And that's Hebrews 8.12. And then spiritual relationships are restored. You are no longer a slave, but a son. That's what we can count on. So this last point. Um, the last battle that you're going to face is the, the giving up this right to punish others. It's the, the battle between penalization and imputation. See, God places, so what it does is it places God in charge of the penalty. It puts God in charge of the vengeance. It says, I could have actually done this on my power, but I'm not. Instead, I'm going to let God deal with this. I'm going to let God deal with this injustice. I'm going to let God deal with this brokenness. And he is going to make restitution on his level, not on mine. So this third battle is the battle between penalization and imputation. This last battle is going to be your willingness to give up penalization. It's the part where Paul says, if he has harmed you in any way, if he has served you an injustice in any way, charge it to my account. I'll make it right. And then that's the part in your Bibles where he says, I'm writing this with my very own hand. I'm not transcribing this through a third party. I'm not having a scribe do this. I'm actually writing this in my own hand. You know why that is so important? Because if you study Greek literature, you'll understand that what Paul was trying to say is that Jesus wrote the covenant in his own blood. He was saying, I didn't expect this to be a third-party covenant. I'm doing this directly with you. If there was nobody else on the planet, he would have died for you, just for you. And that covenant would have still been the same. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Music team, would you come back? And we're just going to go through some, some steps here, just as we close. Now, Sherilyn, you did an amazing job emceeing this service today. Thank you so much. Just before we started this service, Sherilyn came up to me and said, Ken, if you'd like to have prayer at the very end, we've got a prayer team waiting. And I really would like to take you up on that. So in a few moments, prayer team come up just before the musicians begin. Let me go over this with you. This is such an important point in our scripture that we need to take action immediately. Now, it's also a very difficult thing because who wants to come to the altar first saying, I'm harboring bitterness. I got revenge in my heart. I got unforgiveness in my heart. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you today, if you have been hurt, if you have been wounded, is, if your soul is still bleeding because of some stab, Today's your day. Today's your day of freedom. This is the day Jesus takes that and he heals it up. I came all the way from Langley with this message on my heart. I don't know what you're going through personally. I'm the window pane, remember? I'm the substitute. I don't get the privilege of walking with you day in, day out. So some of you may be standing here right now in this very room saying, Ken, I cannot believe you spoke on this because I'm dealing with this right now. 
I've been hurt. I've been wounded. I'm still bleeding a little bit. Today's your day. Today's your day for freedom. I'm going to ask the prayer team, come on up. Just make your way up to the front, prayer team, and just make yourself available. If no one comes, we just sing the songs and we have our lunch together, wherever, at restaurant or home. But if you need somebody to pray with you, these men and women, they've given their lives for prayer. And they will hold your hand. They will embrace you. They will come around you and they'll pray. I'm going to begin with this. Take immediate steps to tend your soul. Avoid the mental rehearsals of your offenses. Don't let those tapes play over and over again in your mind. Let go of the revenge. Let Jesus settle, those, settle the score. Pray daily for those who have offended you. Bless your transgressors and rid yourself of the desire to gossip or slander or make yourself look better. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? And then while everybody is bowed and the eyes are closed, if you want to slip out of your seat just now and come, this is your moment. Please be bold. Come on up. Come on up and we will pray for you. I really sense in my heart God is tugging at your soul right now. He's saying, grab a prayer partner. Come right now. There's lots of people waiting for you. Father, this is such a tender moment in this church right now. There's been wounds. There's been hurts. There's been times when people have, have been um, damaged. And I just pray right now, Father, that you would work in a miraculous, supernatural way. As people are praying, as our worship continues, I pray, Lord, that you would do something supernatural in this church. That freedom would reign in this church. Father, I pray that debts would be released at this church right now. I pray, God, that there would be a wholeness here among brokenness and that we would th thrive as a church in Powell River. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Father. There's still room at the altar. Friends, please make your way up if you'd like and just pause for a moment. People will come and pray with you. But if you need to slip away, today you want to get to your, your lunch or whatever, please feel free to do that. And at the end of all of this, we will conclude. But let's take some time just to linger at the altar. Let's pray one for another. Would you just lead us in worship?